This episode has been made possible by our friends at TaskHusky. TaskHusky.com provides theme tweaks and small development for Shopify stores. So you know those annoying small tasks that you can't do yourself but are really too small for most traditional Shopify experts? They can help you with those. They're available 24-7, have no minimums or maximums, and right now you can get your first task done for only $59 by taking $10 off with coupon code UNOFFICIAL10 when ordering from TaskHusky.com. That's TaskHusky.com. Write it down or save it in your phone. Hello and welcome back to the Unofficial Shopify Podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster. And a common topic we've that people have touched on um, on both sides of the table, whether they're store owners or uh, consultants, is the importance of research in both, you know, in using research into your existing customer base to grow an existing store or using research to help ensure the success of an idea or even just validate an idea. So joining me today is... Joe Scarpati of Blue Shark Straps. They sell um, nylon straps. I won't say NATO because that turns out to have been <laughs> trademarked by someone. Um, so they sell nylon replacement straps for watches. And, you know, I've worn NATO straps plenty of times. They're great. They make every watch look cool easily. Um, you look like James Bond. I think it was where those, those started. Yep. Um, as a total, that that's me geeking out. All right, I won't go down that way. <laughs> I will try to avoid going down the rabbit hole of watches and watch straps, but it's going to happen. I'll, I'll um, have to send you a few samples. I would love that. I got I'll send you the widths I need. Um, yep. So Joe's background is in market research, and he leveraged that to ensure the success of his store to offer watch enthusiasts a better nylon watch strap through Blue Shark. So Joe, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. My, it's it is my honor and pleasure. So tell me, how did you get started with um, Blue Shark straps? Sure. So I started the Blue Shark brand uh, just about a year ago. So I'm somebody who uh, has been a watch enthusiast for a while. Um, I had frequently purchased nylon watch straps, and what I found was that the quality was kind of hit or miss. And I've always had this kind of entrepreneurial spirit, and I thought you know it'd be interesting to look into to bringing something to market that's consistently the the quality that I would be looking for as a customer. So a common uh, that's a, a common theme I hear is you had a, a pain in your own life and it was, you know, NATO straps are hit or miss and you're right. Like some of them will f- by virtue of putting it on a week later the thing's falling apart and then others will go forever um or feel like they go forever. Um yeah. but then before yeah. you you jumped into it, what did you do? Yeah, so the way I started was to, I mean, I think everyone's kind of influenced by their own biases, but what I did was kind of outline the issues that I have with the straps I'd purchased. Then additionally, I also looked at um, what I found was a great resource was just Amazon reviews because people are giving Amazon for research. Yeah, no, it's the best. It's like being a fly on the wall. So you get to, to get a pretty good understanding of what people like or dislike specifically about the, the products that you'd be looking at as competitors. Um, so from there, I kind of outlined, you know, what I saw as the pros and cons or what customers saw as the pros and cons of these different straps. And then I looked into whether or not they, these issues were addressable. Um, so and I kind of took it from there. You were jumping into an existing space, which is great in that you have you know, these, these watering holes where you can go on forums, you can go on Reddit, um, and Amazon, which is phenomenal market research and is really helpful. And you just read the reviews to get a sense of what, 
essentially to do pain storming, figure out what the, the existing pains are out there that you can solve. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I think it's easy with something like watches because there's a whole giant community of people who are interested in watches. And so you can go on forums, message boards. Reddit is a great resource for something like that. But if you have a product that, that maybe doesn't lend itself to having enthusiasts, then, I mean, Amazon sells just about everything, right? So you can always go to Amazon. You can always, unless you're launching something completely new, you can always go into um, into Amazon, look up similar products and, and get you know, great feedback from people who have purchased these products. So is that is that it for research? Is there anything more to it? What do you do? So what I like to do, I mean, generally speaking, what I'll do is I'll always start with some kind of strategic question. Um, How I do think, you figure out what that question is? How do you know? I think it depends on where you are um, in your products um, and kind of the the stage of your business. So if you're if you're just launching a brand or if you're launching a new product, then I think the, the strategic question becomes pretty clear. So it might be, um, is the product I'm looking to launch um, feasible considering everything that's currently available? Is there really a pain um, that, that customers are having with comparable products? Uh, I, I wouldn't recommend just blindly. Uh, I think there's value in going to Amazon and just reading the reviews, but I think it's helpful if you have a specific idea in mind of what you're trying to answer. So why do you think that is? Um, I think it's easy to get lost in the weeds. So if you're just going into Amazon, reading reviews, you're going to you're gonna get a pretty good base of knowledge. And like I said, I think it's a, a great exercise. But if you're not looking for something specific that's actionable, you're not going to apply it to your business, I don't think. That makes sense. Yeah, I think a lot of people, um, you know, if you're doing things way too broad, it's a struggle. It doesn't work. Yeah, and my, my background is in market research, and it's funny, like the first couple of months that I was starting my business, I really didn't leverage that experience the way I should have been. Um, it wasn't until really, really until after I even launched my brand. I mean, I had obviously done market research when, when trying to identify how I wanted to design my product, but it wasn't until I launched my brand that I took very specific actions to address questions that I was having. So um, with with nylon watch bands, um, there are just so many different SKUs, so many different directions you can go in strategically in terms of what you bring to the market um, that I really wanted to be smart about how I spent my money. So this is a bootstrap business. There's a ton of investment involved in, in terms of bringing something to market. So once I was a little more established, then I got really specific about um, what I was trying to learn and how I could apply that to what I launched in the future. So what were, in your case, what were you trying to learn? Yeah, so that's a, a good question. So, you know, a, a, an example I can give you with, with these nylon watch bands, as you probably know, there are just tons of different styles. Um, soon after launching my brand, and I was launching the styles that I expected to be most popular, and for the most part, they, they were the most popular um, how did you, straps. That, how, did you figure, how did you know what would be the most popular? Like, what, how yeah, did you I come mean, to that? That's a good question. So I think a lot of that was based, again, from my own biases, but additionally, looking at Amazon, um, you know, you can look at the best sellers in Amazon. You can see which products um, come up first in search. You can look at the ones that have the, the most reviews, and it kind of lends itself to, to being the most popular styles. That makes sense. Yeah, and I think yeah. you know, it also, like, you could figure out um, if you have two comparable products 
and one does substantially better than the other, it might be worthwhile to compare them and try and figure out, okay, why does one succeed versus the other when they're very similar? Yep, yep, that's exactly right. And I think you have to take some guesses when you're first launching the, the product, but then soon after that, um, you get feedback from customers, you, you experiment with um, with different things on Amazon. Some, some of it is just kind of... Um, you know, throwing it against the wall and see what sticks. But for the most part, you can take some pretty educated guesses just by looking on Amazon, um, looking at different websites. I mean, there are competitive websites where you can sort the products by the the most popular. Oh, um, interesting. I didn't know that. Can you think of one off the top of your head? Um, I'm actually thinking of a competitor. <laughs> they, <laughs> oh, they have, I thought um, you meant like you could look at Amazon. Yeah, no, if you go on other people's websites, a competitor's website, and then they have the like sort by best selling. Exactly. Yeah. No, that makes uh, sense. And, um, and as long as they're an established company, then you're going to get a pretty good read on. Uh, I mean, obviously by default, it's their best-selling products, right? So you'll get a good read on on which styles are most popular. If I had to guess, your most popular styles are are they the the plainer, simpler stuff? Like, is black your like a plain black strap your bestseller? Uh it's close. So yeah, I mean, you're right. The the solid basic colors are the ones that are most popular. There's the um, the style that appeared in the James Bond movie, which is the black and gray stripes. That's very popular. Right. Um, but yeah, as you can imagine, it's always going to be the, the, the plainer, um, more simple styles that, that people like. Yeah, I've noticed that it's like, you know, when you're deep in the weeds in it, you know, when you love it, like you pro- the more, the crazier stuff is probably what stands out to you, but it's only yep. because you're very familiar with it. So your tastes have changed versus someone who's like, well, I got to buy a strap and wear it every day. They don't want something totally insane, and they don't want to have to buy like five straps. Yeah, that, that's right. And and soon after I launched my brand, I noticed that, um, as you'd expect, you know, probably something like eighty percent of my sales were coming from about twenty percent of my products. And my thought was, um, okay, so I'm going to focus on the, those best-selling styles. Um, so right away, you really- saw the eighty-twenty rule in action. Yeah, yeah, basically. I mean, I think, you know, I, I still wanted to have other styles, but I, I said, you know, I'm going to focus on these and then I'm going to develop different product lines that are tailored to um, to different needs based on the feedback I saw. So you started with, all right, so you had your this pain in your life. You did your research, um, which really was running through Amazon, trying to answer questions about it, trying to figure out what the best sellers would be. Purchased those items, launched your store. How do you launch your store? This is where a lot of people get tripped up. Um, how did I launch it in terms of like, well, most people, you know, they, I mean, the mistake I think a lot of people have is, or commit is believing that if I build it, they will come. So they put the store together, they put the product in there, they turn it on and then nothing happens. Yeah. Did you experience that or did you do something different? Um, you know, it's funny. Like I, I sold on Amazon for the first four months that I was in business and so at that point, I validated the product. I felt good about it. But you're right. Then I was building the store, and I, I was—I had my heart in my stomach every day because I was thinking nobody's going to come to this thing. But um, I think at that point, I had enough feedback from customers. Um, I had done enough research. I mean, listening to podcasts like yours, looking up you know different things online. I had enough of um, of a plan in terms of how I expected to drive traffic. So I felt pretty comfortable that I'd I'd be able to get people into the store, and I was less into the store. What's that? How did you get people into the store? What worked versus Um, what didn't? 
Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So being active on uh, message boards, being active on Reddit was really helpful. So they, I think knew, a lot of, they knew you as a person before you yeah. had the thing launched. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I think, um, and you know, on Reddit, I have my personal account, but then I have, I have a brand name account, but I participate like a person. And do you um, sponsor stuff or like, do they, they let you get away with it because you provide value? I know Reddit's very sensitive to, um, people selling. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm doing anything promotional on Reddit, I'm, I'm, I'm doing sponsored ads. Okay. Um, and I'm very careful about promoting on Reddit. Like I just don't, <clears throat> being a member of the community, like you don't like when people are promoting on Reddit for the most part. So I'm very careful about that. So if I'm participating on Reddit, I might just be commenting on somebody's watch uh, the way I would, you know, personally. But if so I'm doing how do they something... go from, like I get how that adds value to the community and how you get uh, insight out of that. How does that translate to sales? Um. So I think, you know, most of the visits that I was that I was getting were coming from my sponsored ads. And then I think once people had experience with the product, at least a few members within that community, um, and then they had positive experiences with me personally from a customer service point of view. And then so I didn't really have to drive a lot of the discussion. I would participate in it. Um, but so I found that people... people would do your selling for you. Yeah, yeah. And I, I never... Um, I never tried to drive that. Uh, I never asked anyone to start a conversation, but it was happening organically um, where people were saying, hey, you should check out this brand. I had a why good experience. Why do you think that is? This. Um, it, why, would they, why would they initiate that conversation? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's amazing. People, a lot of, I would assume that most store owners would kill to have um, you know, the, uh, these highly engaged super customers who have to become brand evangelists and going out and you know, probably making repeat purchase themselves and recommending the product on these very public forums. Yeah, so the, that's interesting. In terms of the advocacy, that has been driven more by customer service than anything. Um, so I always go what I, what I believe to be above and beyond to make people happy. If there's ever an issue, I, um, I address it immediately. Um, but beyond that, like I, I think because this is watches and the people buying are typically watch enthusiasts, <clears throat> I get into to conversations, you know, on a weekly basis, you know, where I'll have a, an email chain going on with a customer just talking about watches. And so I think they, and when I send emails to my email list, they're always very personal. It says it's coming from me. And I think they feel like it's not a business that that's selling to them, but a person. And so I get a, I get a pretty good relationship with the customers. Um, and so actually I use that indirectly as market research. It's not a calculated thing, but, but beyond that, you get to, um, yeah, you get to know your customers. Yeah. I think yeah. I mean, I have, I have a group of probably a handful of customers that I know I can email at any time and say, Hey, what do you think about this product? I'm thinking about launching this. Um, I might even send them a sample and that kind of people love giving their opinion. They love testing out stuff. Um, and that, so that helps me build a relationship with customers. It helps me get, you know, it's essentially a, a focus group, right? I'm getting feedback from customers, um, really with, with little effort. That's, no, that, that is a fantastic position to be in. And I think the critical thing there is you're engaging people as a person. And like this, I consistently yep. see this, this baffling phenomenon where a, a business will be like one or maybe two people. And yet, 
you know, they ever everything set up as like, you know, the emails come from like customer service at and shipping yeah. at. Like they <laughs> they pretend to have all these yeah. departments, and it's like, why are you doing this? You know, Target would kill to have to be able to just be a person that you talk with, and that's why big brands pay huge money for spokespeople is so they can have a face. You don't have to pay anybody; you're the face of your own company, so just be that person. And that like that personal connection is very easy. Plus, I guarantee you're gonna get like less shitty emails from people when they can picture the person they're talking to. You know, they're yeah. gonna say like, "Hey, Joe, I had a problem with this strap," versus like, "I'm, you know, I'm gonna call my credit card company and dispute this charge right away." Info at whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely <laughs> true. Like, I've I've definitely found that. I mean, people who have never spoken to me before will send me an email asking a question about a product, and they'll address me as Joe just because they've seen the emails come through. Um, so when you and they know that I'm kind of emails to your list. Do you do it? Are they like basically they're plain text from you? Yeah. So when I first started sending emails, I tried to do like the fancy professional looking emails. And now for the most part, I'll, I'll send like a plain text email or because of the nature of the product, if I want to show them something, um, like right now I'm launching a, a couple of new products where I want to show them pictures. So I'll send a, an email that I'll have an image, but some very basic text. I won't make it all that fancy. I think that's, you know, there's no graphics or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's uh, an important lesson. A lot of people, you know, want to go with the, the really crazy fancy emails, like they're sending out a, a Sunday circular in the newspaper, and that just comes off as advertising. Like I get that stuff from Harbor Freight, and I delete it. Uh, yeah, and, and I still get get caught up in referring to the company as we from time to time, but I've I've tried to stop that. <laughs> like there, there really is no we. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a good thing. Like people are ashamed that, like, oh, I launched my company and I don't have a staff of a hundred. It's silly. Yeah, yep. So, how do you? Uh, let's recap. So you did the market research with Amazon, launched your store yep. by really just engage. You're first validating it on Amazon in a marketplace, and then running through um, and just participating in a community. Yeah. And the, I mean, the other, the other piece of market research that has been really invaluable to me, like it's, it's been driving everything I do lately is that I, once I had a sizable email list, I, um, I fielded a survey to, to my email list. And that's something I wouldn't want to do too frequently. <clears throat> but, um, you know, I basically sent an email to my email list. I said, Hey, here's a, uh, you know, this two minute survey, if you, if you'd like to fill it out, once you complete it, you'll get a, a $5 off coupon code. Uh, and I saw a great response rate. And so the, the purpose of that survey was, again, I was, I was thinking about launching a new product. I also wanted to identify what was driving purchase behavior and what was, um, you know, what, what barriers there were to people who were not purchasing. And so I, love, I sent out the survey. I love and, surveys for this purpose. It's been like as a conversion rate optimization tactic, as a business yep. growth tool, surveys are by far one of the easiest and most powerful things you could do. What kind of questions yep. did you ask in your survey? Yeah, so that's a good question. So I, I, um, I put together a pretty brief survey. I mean, it was a total of 15 questions, but depending on how you answered, you, you're probably only answering 10 questions. So the way I structured it is I wanted to separate people who were purchasing and not purchasing and using something like SurveyMonkey, you can use skip logic. So you ask people if they're, if they've purchased from you before, if they have, they would see one set of questions. If they have not, they would see a different set. So from the people who had purchased, um, I wanted to understand what had driven that behavior, how satisfied were they? Um, 
what aspects of the business were they most satisfied with? Was there anything that I can improve upon? Um, <clears throat> for non-customers, I want to understand, uh, and, and this is, I mean, obviously it's an email list, so it's a biased population, but I mean, these are people who are pre-qualified. They signed up for my list, so I they've, have to imagine there's some kind of interest. and yep. said that they're interested in your brand. So they're the people exactly. that, I would say it's, I think, you know, biased is the wrong word. You're asking your your prospects and your best customers what they think. That's right. That's right. And that's the lens you have to look at it through. Um, and so with that group, I want to understand, you know, what was the reason they hadn't purchased yet? Uh, it, you know, is there something that I can do to, to drive them to a purchase? And then from everybody, customers and non-customers, I want to understand the value of the different product lines I was offering. And most importantly, I had a few ideas about directions the business could head into, and I wanted to see how appealing those were. So before I made a, a tremendous investment in product, I want to understand how um, attractive the different offers that I was considering were to the customers. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so, and so, I, think... I mean, I can give you one insight that's been valuable just as an example. So earlier I was talking about the 80-20 rule with my, my styles. Pareto's Principle. And there's a good book on it by Perry Marshall, I think. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that, that seems to hold up across every aspect of business. But, um, it, you know, well, what, like I was saying. So quickly, let's define what the 80-20 rule is. Yeah, so, in the, I mean, in this case, it was that, you know, 80% of my business was coming from 20% of my, my products. And I've seen, uh, this in, I've seen this in clients' businesses over and over. I've seen this in my own business. And it's the reason why I went down to, um, you know, just working on first e-commerce than just Shopify for the last two years is because we're like, okay, where are best projects coming from? And we just kept like cutting away the excess to exploit that, you know, grow that 20, that 80, 20, the 20, uh, larger. Yep. Yeah. And, and so that was, that, that's what had driven me to kind of limit the sizes I was, uh, not the sizes, but the styles that I was offering. Um, and 99% of the time, right, with the 80-20 rule, you want to focus on the 20. But what I found from the survey was that in this particular case, um, having all those different styles is just table stakes. So if, if somebody's thinking about buying a nylon strap, they want the options, even if they're almost always going to buy one of, you know, a handful of styles. Interesting. So this, so this market was like the one exception to that, you know, to, to the rule of focusing on your 20%. Not that you shouldn't focus on the 20%, but it was really, you know, you need to have these different styles available to customers. And even if you're not going to make a tremendous investment, I knew it was something that I had to at least add on to what I currently had, which is what I'm in the process of doing. So once you had validated, do you, so then you, how do you rerun these surveys? Do you keep them going? Um, so I had, I had fielded that particular one, one time I had, I had done another survey with kind of my my super customers. Um, so I used Clavio to identify um, to identify my best customers, and I had sent them another survey that was slightly different. Um, and I had done that about a month ago. I, I want to be careful about surveying them too frequently, but it I, I do plan on doing it maybe every quarter or every other quarter um, on an ongoing basis, so I can kind of track the results over time. Yeah, that's smart. I do it as, um, like for my, and it's a little different cause I'm in professional services, but I have it as like a general interest survey just as part of my like welcome series. And then that way I have sure. just kind of, 
you know, as they show up in my inbox, I can kind of like see trends, look for, um, well, look for trends and kind of just have my, my finger on the pulse of my, the people signing up to my newsletter. Um, Mm. and I also definitely see, I, you know, I participate in, uh, communities too. I really, on Facebook, I really like the Shopify entrepreneurs community and like, for sure you will see trends happening where like people will suddenly get interested in a particular, uh, like acquisition channel or app or something. I'm like, okay, that's, you know, I am concerned with what works for my clients, but I'm also concerned with, okay, what questions are going to come up? So knowing that Mm. and seeing that is, is always powerful and interesting. Yeah. And so that, and then does that become, um, does that drive a lot of the content on your podcast? Somewhat. What I'll do is, uh, like, if someone emerges as an expert or has, like, an interesting opinion, what I'll do is reach out to them. Um, or if I have uh, multiple people who will apply, as a, apply with the same topic, then it's like, okay, we have to talk about that topic because mm. clearly this is, this is something. Sure. So, I be, you know, I generally I base it less on what's interesting to me and more on what I think will be interesting to store owners. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Initially, I just did whatever the heck I wanted, and then suddenly I'm like, wait, we have how many? <laughs> how many ten thousand, tens of thousands of listeners? Uh oh. Yep. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good parallel for for how I was doing things. Like I had done some market research up front, but then at at certain points I was kind of, you know, there, there's just so much to do. So you're you're focusing on the things that need to get done, and you almost lose sight of, um, for me, market research and kind of strategic direction. So, all right. So we went from, you went from, you bought a NATO strap and it it had issues to you now sell a collection of NATO straps on a Shopify store and a marketplace. Uh, How's that going for you? Good choice? Bad choice? It's been a great choice. So I started with, um, and really when this started, I thought, okay, this would be, I, I think there's a market for this and I think I could do pretty well, but it was almost more of a hobby. Um, and so the, you know, I started on Amazon and Amazon had gone well, but I knew that, you know, when you're, you're selling on Amazon, you're kind of, <clears throat> you're, you're at their mercy in a lot of different ways. So there's only so much you can do in terms of marketing your product. Um, you know, it's unlikely that they're just going to kick you off, but it can happen. So your business is completely in their hands. Um, and so that's why I wanted to Amazon seller. Like I have a, uh, several clients who are, you know, successful Amazon sellers and then set up Shopify stores and they, that's their fear is they've always, they all have some horror story of someone who like just gets arbitrarily tossed by Amazon. Yeah. You hear these, these nightmare stories and even beyond that, I mean, there's the whole issue of hijacking listings. So somebody will just sell on your listing and ship out another product. Um, and then you get bad reviews and it's nothing. you Exactly. Exactly. So I, and that's happened to me. Some people have jumped on my listings. They've sold different products that weren't so great. Um, and then I have to purchase those products and complain <laughs> to Amazon. So <clears throat> it's, it's a little bit of a headache. Um, and you really don't get to exercise, um, you know, all that much in the way of marketing. I mean, yeah, you put you your product oh, up there, they you have messaging. They're very but, careful to never give you the emails. Exactly. So you can't even have your website appear on your packaging. Yeah, you and can't. So that, uh, yeah, you. They control the packaging. They. Yeah, yep. they. They very much say, okay, you as a service, we let you sell on our website, but we own the customer. It is. They are very clear. It is their customer, not yours. Yep, that's exactly but you right. Still, and, I mean, even though it's not your customer, you still have to invest all you know the the same energy and effort into customer service. 
Exactly. That's exactly right. So they, they track how, um, you know, your response rate to customers and, uh, I think the time to respond. So they, they definitely want you on top of customer service, but you're right. It is completely their customer. Uh, and I mean, they're obviously providing an incredible value to the seller. So you, yeah, you have to I'm accept not, it for what it is, but, yeah, um, I don't think, I think people should explore, uh, marketplaces, especially Amazon's, but at the same, like you just have to go into it with eyes open. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great for, like I said, I think it's great for validating a product. So, I mean, after the first couple of months I knew, okay, if I can at least make this, uh, I know people are very happy with the product. If I can make people aware of the product, my conversion rate should be pretty good. Um, you know, if I can, and my background is in marketing and market research. So I, I felt pretty confident about, um, even though I had no experience building a store, I mean, Shopify was just so simple to build a, the actual store itself that I felt like, okay, I can clearly communicate a benefit to people. It, I know people like the product. Uh, it's a matter of building an audience, um, which I felt pretty good about. And so, I mean, that was really the, the impetus for building the store. I wanted to build a, a brand. I wanted to be able to communicate with customers. I wanted to control the success of the brand rather than rely on Amazon. Yeah, no, it's a, a lot of, it's a common story that I hear. Um, I think the difference though is you've executed on it so well. I mean, you started with, you know, let's recap it. I mean, you had, you said you had a, a pain in your life. You validated it through, we'll say pain storming where you went and did research to see what, if other, are other people having these pains, what pains are they specifically having? Then knowing that, you know, having those, knowing what makes a good NATO strap versus a bad NATO strap, um, develop the product, valid then again you know more validation where okay we got the product let's sell it on amazon to validate it it works put it on your own shopify store get involved with the community use a combination of that plus ppc advertising to drive people and then keep that cycle going through surveys and through being a person being a human and talking to your customers directly to just keep you know revising and building on that that 80 20 over and over and over um until you have a a, a successful business that started as a thing you love yeah I and I think right? the, that's <laughs> yeah i think i think that sums it up pretty well i mean i think the fact that it's um it's something that was a hobby beforehand has been a tremendous help so like i said i obviously have my own biases but having that background information uh i think is tremendous like it's always an ongoing joke if you if you read through um like small business forums where people say the worst part about having your own business is the customers. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the, the great thing about this business is that I love when a customer email comes in. I mean, almost every time that a customer email comes in, I'm having a conversation and I'm gathering more insights. Again, unintentionally, it's not a calculated thing. Um, but yeah, I, it's I, you're interested in it and you're just, you're, you become a sponge because you care because it's your hobby, you're interested in it. So, you know, someone saying... Well, what's a, can you, uh, this is a tough one, but off the top of your head, what is like a recent insight you gained? Um, yeah, so recently I would say that, um, yeah, so, well, this is, this is probably a pretty good one. So we're going to be launching, um, a new product in the near future. Uh, I mean, so with these straps, I mean, 99% of them look very similar. They all have, um, fairly similar hardware. And, you know, I spoke to a couple of customers who brought up the idea of using like really high end buckles with a nylon strap, which is, um, I like it already. 
Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good idea. And so that was one of the things I actually validated through the survey. So I said, okay, well, let's see if this is something that people would be interested in. And would um, they pay for it? Do you ask them, like, what would this be worth to you? <clears throat> so that's a good question. So I actually didn't. So when, when I filled the survey, I actually had about eight different potential ideas. Um, so I couldn't go too in-depth in terms of what they would pay for it. Um, but what I've done with pricing, actually, is I, I've communicated with a handful of customers. And I'll send them an image of something that, that you know, a prototype or something like that. And I'd say, you know, what, what would you expect this to cost? Um, and what would you be willing to pay for it? So I, I haven't done that in a broad survey. Um, but I do feel comfortable doing it with a handful of customers just to kind of sanity check what, you know, what I'm thinking in my own mind. I mean, I know there's a certain price that I would have to sell it at, at the minimum. I think there's a certain value in my mind in terms of what I think it's worth. And then validating that with, um, with the handful of customers has been valuable for me. Yeah. Pricing is really hard, especially, you know, when you're selling your own product and you're not marking up someone else's and you can either do it as like cost of goods sold times yeah. X markup, but really should do it for, you know, what it's what it's worth and the problem is value is totally subjective so if you have a group of customers who say you know i would pay x for that well then that's what you should charge for it regardless of you know what the markup is because to that like your manufacturing cost to your customer they don't care you know they care yeah, about right. like do i want this thing yes no is it at a price that like is worth it to me yep yeah and so there's um there's actually another product that i'm launching where I really had to go through this exercise because it was a lot more expensive to produce than my other products. And so I knew there was a basement price that I could not go below. Um, but you're right. I really had to think about, because I thought it was really valuable to people. And I, I've, I've done enough research where I know this would be of interest to people. Uh, and I know the options out there are very expensive. Um, but I thought I could offer something that was reasonably priced. I had a, I had a price in mind that I thought was and a fair market value. And I spoke to maybe eight customers and I want to say seven of the eight were within two to three dollars of what I was thinking. So that was great validation. So you didn't offer them a price? You just said, what would you pay for this? Yeah, I wanted it completely um, They all came unaided. within two to three bucks? Yeah. yeah That's I mean, amazing. Yeah, I was shocked. I mean, it was one after, I was getting the emails one after the other and they all loved the product and they all said, yeah, I'd expect to, to pay X dollars for that. And it was always within two to three dollars. And that, like, I think that really speaks to you know, your understanding of the market and your customers that you yeah. know, like, I don't think you just made that number up. I think that was based on, you know, all of these, these tiny, all of these interactions adding up now that you have, you know, this, this insight, the sixth sense about it. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think it's, I mean, in a sense it was a hunch, but it was a hunch based on knowing, you know, what, what other straps cost, you know, just having, having a crystallized version of what the target customer is. So, <clears throat> I mean, that, that's the other thing that's been great about market research is it's really crystallized who these target customers are. So going into this, I didn't know if it was Rolex owners or is it Seiko owners, you know, in the more affordable category, is it people who are going to be really particular and, and difficult? Is it going to be, you know, is it going to be the person who casually wears a Timex and wants to, you know, swap out a strap for more of a fashion reason? And that's, so I think, that again is one of those things where it's like you know, you know the market because you're interested in it, and you know, um, you know the the customers and what they're like. And I think if you weren't into this, 
you would not like you just be like, well, it's a strap. It fits these watches. What's the problem? And having that that insight, I think, is is hugely important. And knowing like, okay, here's the history of a NATO strap and why you know the bond the 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 vintage and the new bond straps are such like an interesting thing to people. And even yeah. speaking that, like going along with that, just the you know you could go crazy with selling different widths, and you have I know like the you have three widths. And those are going to be like the most common widths because a lot of these people are going to put these on dive watches specifically, yeah. and those tend to come in these smaller sizes. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think um, <clears throat> that was one of the other interesting things. So to, not to go back to the eighty twenty rule, but they actually found the the opposite was true when it came to sizes. So people really weren't looking for a bunch of different sizes. Um, so one of the things I was wondering is, okay, eighty percent are, you know wearing 20 millimeter or 22 millimeter watches kind of the more the more common sizes for these straps do i need to expand that and so that that actually held true to the more traditional 80 20 strategy of not needing to really expand into you know 26 or 16 or you know getting into the otter sizes yeah well, like 18 20 22 okay you've just covered 80 yeah. percent of the market yeah that's as exactly soon as you right. go it's like 24 to, and then 26 is super unusual unless you know you're Arnold Schwarzenegger and wearing a giant, a giant panorama that they gave you for funsies. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so, I mean, even t- like I carry some twenty fours, and those are actually a lot less popular than I would have expected. You know, every now and then I'll get an email asking for it. But but you're right, it's the eighteen, twenty, twenty two. Those those are the big ones. So cool. I mean, I love it. I I love the product. I love uh, how you went about it to to validate the idea, then grow the business. Where can people go see it for themselves? So we are at bluesharkstraps.com, and blue is uh, B-L-U, and then sharkstraps.com. And I can be reached at joe at bluesharkstraps.com. Oh, very good. Well, Joe, thank you for coming on. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. appreciate it. Any any closing thoughts? What's, What's one thing you wish every store owner would do? Um... I would say to take a step back and think about um, what questions you have that need to be answered. I mean, I know I get caught up in just doing the things that that need to be done, um, and you kind of get in that mode. And sometimes it has to be that way. Like you know, things just get so crazy, especially if you're on your own, um, that you have to do the things that need to get done. But if you take a step back and just think about the questions you want to answer, you can do it pretty efficiently. Um, through market research, through a quick survey, or just, like I said, looking at Amazon or different message boards. Um, but try not to get too bogged down into the details of, you know, your everyday business and think, you know, higher level strategically what you're trying to accomplish and, and what the knowledge gaps are that you have. Sage words. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. To our listeners, however this audio made it into yours, you could find out more about it on officialshopfightpodcast.com. If you'd like to be notified whenever a new episode goes live, subscribe at iTunes right now before you forget, or sign up for my newsletter at kurtelster.com, and I'll shoot you an email whenever we post a new episode. Thanks, everybody, and we'll be back next week. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.